Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle! Follow me! Follow me to freedom! Here's your host, Mike Phillips. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. We are into week number two of the podcast in the coronavirus social distancing era. So no active sporting events to talk about. But luckily for us sports fans, the NFL steps up to the plate, gives us something to discuss. Free agency started last week. A lot of big things going on. Talking to fan side is Matt Verderam about some of the fallout from the big moves of the offseason so far. Tom Brady has changed teams. De- DeAndre Hopkins is going to Arizona. Bill O'Brien's losing his mind in Houston. Giants and Jets have been busy. Some stuff going on there for sure. We're also going to do a little expanded pop culture coverage once again. We'll be talking current enthusiasm in the series. Not series, the season finale with Martino Puccio in just a bit. We have done basically half the season, Martino and I, so we will wrap it all up today. Also going to get into a little different pop culture coverage. I'm going to talk Survivor 40 Winners at War. I have loved this show since it first came on. Luckily, our golf guy, Dandy Martini, is also a huge Survivor buff. We are going to discuss the current season, recap the latest episode of the show, and look ahead to what the rest of the season may look like. That's coming up as well, but we'll get it all started with this week's opening tip. I'm actually joined by Pat's fan, Ian Sachs to talk about the ramifications of Tom Brady leaving New England from a Patriot fan perspective right after this. Tossed away. He's in! Patriots win the Super Bowl! Brady has his fifth! What a comeback! All right, we are back here with his opening tip. Tom Brady is gone. I talked to this guy back in January about this possibility. He was not a believer back then. Ian Sachs is back on the line with us. Ian, welcome. How are you? Mike, thank you so much for having me. It's hard to believe that we're talking, and Tom Brady is a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and not wearing that famed Patriot blue anymore with the silver helmet, but, you know, it's, it's different times right now, and we can only look forward to seeing the next chapter in both his legendary playing career and what's next for the Patriot organization and Bill Belichick. Yeah, I must say, last Tuesday in Boston must not have been a fun day because no St. Patrick's Day parade because of social distancing. Every, all the sports shut down. Tom Brady nowadays leaving. That must have been a bummer of a day up there. I can only imagine what it was that an announcement that would force people to try to go out and drink and, you know, try to put it in perspective, try to cope with it as somehow and do it in a, in a community setting. And yet, nope, stay home and, and deal with it yourself. I couldn't even imagine what Patriot nation was going through really in Boston and really throughout all of New England. Yeah, for sure. I mean, think about it this way though. Like you, I talked to you back in January during the playoffs. You were like, Tom Brady's coming back. He's not going anywhere. Like, how shocked really actually did leave? So am I. I really thought that 
both Brady and the Patriots would figure something out. I thought that Brady would would look at a Kobe figure the way that he played 20 years with one organization that Kobe and the Lakers are so tied together or Derek Jeter or Mariano Rivera type of image where you're so synonymous with that one team that you did play for. And Brady even posted, I think it was either shortly after Kobe died or maybe the memorial service, a really heartfelt message about Kobe and his relationship and his reverence for Kobe. And really, I thought that that kind of showed something of he's putting it in perspective of, wow, looking back at it, Kobe played 20 years with one organization, the cream of the crop, the Los Angeles Lakers, one of the two, three most storied organizations in the NBA. I can have that same legacy if I stay here in New England. Robert Kraft and I are so tight. We're such good friends. Kraft considers me a son. I really thought that that would put Brady over the edge. Yes, he might get a little better offer somewhere else, but I really thought that, yeah, I knew that he was done taking that home field discount from the Patriots. He really wanted to get his money, but I really thought that the two sides would would somehow be able to reach a deal. Yeah, I thought so too. I must say that was very surprising once the announcement came out and like, how, I mean, let's go, before we get to why you went to Tampa, like, why do you think he actually chose to leave? I mean, we've heard the theories about how the whole situation where Belichick reportedly offered him to the 49ers at the deadline 17 sort of fracture relationship. I've heard stuff about the TB12 method and the Alex Guerrero thing. Like, what do you think was the straw that broke the camel's back? I think part of it is that the relationship just finally ran its course. And I think that you can only hear one voice for so long and stay in one place for so long. And then it starts to become monotonous. I was reading an article on ESPN about it just earlier today and talking about how Brady really felt that he had reached the pinnacle of his time in New England. He had the three early championships. You had the run at perfection. You had another matchup with the Giants. Then they needed to retool after that one. And then they finally got back to their championship winning stride, winning three more, getting to another Super Bowl in the loss to the Eagles. And I really think that he felt there really isn't too much for me to do here. I think the article might have even said that when the Patriots were sitting at 8-0 this year, this is coming off of a Super Bowl, which they won 13-3, to just one touchdown in the entire 60-minute game. That one coming with about two minutes left and a really defensive stalwart of a game. This year's Patriots team was 8-0 largely behind their defense. He even said, I'm the most unhappy 8-0 quarterback probably ever in NFL history. And when you think about that, that Brady here – it's part of this Patriot way in which win at all costs, no matter how it gets done, no matter who does it, no matter if it's the, the 53rd man on the roster or Tom Brady, the goat of all quarterbacks, the goat of all football players, no matter who gets the job done, as long as the team is winning, that's the most important thing. And when he started to feel that way, that yes, the team is winning, but there's something about it that that's not making me happy. And, and I'm, starting to feel away from that Patriot way, that that iconic mark of the team and the organization of any man doing whatever it takes, I think that's when he realized 
maybe it's time to step away and it's either going to be end my career with the Patriots, but fall short of my goal of playing into my mid forties. But if I want to play into my mid forties, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. Yeah, he does go somewhere else. He's the latest in the line of the great quarterbacks to finish out here. Joe Montana finishing the chief Peyton Manning with the Broncos, Joe Namath with the Rams, the list goes on and on. Like, so how do you think now that it looks historically, he's going to be in that group as opposed to somebody who just plays entire career with one team. I think that it's not time to put his full career in perspective. He can either go the way of Montana where, or uh, Namath, if you think about, think of Namath, you think of that Jet Green. Think of Montana, you think of that beautiful 49ers red or, or maroon. Whereas Manning is a little different. Manning, you really do think of both teams that he played with. Of course, he was at his best, had his longest run of sustained success with the Colts. But then he comes back, goes to the Broncos, sets the single-season record with 55 touchdowns, goes to two Super Bowls, wins his last game in the NFL. You really could think of Brady, uh, think of Manning, rather, with both teams that he played with. So I think that it is really, we cannot put Brady's career in perspective just yet. If he goes to the Bucks and is like Jordan with the Wizards and kind of just is average on his way into retirement, then of course we're going to only think of Tom Brady, the New England Patriot, six-time Super Bowl champion, nine-time AFC champion, all those division titles. But if he goes to the Bucks now and with the quarterback whisper in Bruce Arians, and that loaded offensive weapons that he now has, he could very easily lead the Bucks to the playoffs the next three years, maybe go to a, a Super Bowl or two, maybe win a, a seventh ring with the Bucks, and show that he's more than just that quote-unquote system quarterback that some people are trying to label him as in playing for Belichick. So I think we really have to hold judgment on that and, where his path now takes him in Tampa Bay. Yeah, indeed. He ends up in Tampa Bay, and I got to admit, this one came out of left field to me because I thought if he was leaving, he's going out west, either the Vegas Raiders or the Chargers. And like, so how surprised is it that Tampa is where he ends up? It did come as a very big surprise to me. I was looking at either the Chargers or the Titans if he was going to leave New England. I was still pretty set and, and pretty convinced that he was going to stay in New England even besides the fact that he was selling his house, that Alex Guerrero was selling selling his house. I still was just thinking that it just doesn't make sense that he and Kraft are not going to work out some deal. And then when the Bucks came out, I now I, I like the Bucks. I think that that's a, a great organization that's flown under the radar in recent years had that one Super Bowl run about almost 20 years ago now. And and that's a team that has a lot of pieces but really has never been able to put it together. And I think that it makes a lot of sense. He's still close to his family roots in New, in New York. He's still 3,000 miles away from uh, from his parents in California. So 
that really doesn't change. And heck, you get to change the the cold winters of Foxborough, Massachusetts, for some nice sunny days in Tampa Bay. Yeah, that's nice. The weapons also help. Let's go to New England for a minute, though. I mean, the Patriot response to losing Tom Brady was bring back Brian Hoyer at the time over the weekend. They have Jared Stay on the roster. Do we really think Belichick's role with just those two, or do you think there's another move coming at the quarterback position? I think that Stidham is going to be, as of now, the opening starter. I think that Hoyer, they brought him back to be that veteran presence for the young star in Stidham. I like what I've seen. I like what I've heard about him. And I think that the team, especially the defense, has really gotten to like him. He ran the Patriots practice squad drills for the defense this year. And they said that they would try to switch up blitzes and he wouldn't be phased by it in practice. And that's the type of player that Bill Belichick wants. Someone who learned his role. Think about Tom Brady when he got drafted. He started as the fourth string quarterback worked his way up to being the backup, stepping right in when Bledsoe went down in the game against the Jets. So I think that he might see some of Brady in Stidham. And then I also think that the Patriots are going to look to the draft this year and figure, you know what, we're not 100% sold. Keep the quarterback rate interesting. Maybe not jump up right away to, to try to get a Burrow or a Tua player. Maybe someone like a Jalen Hurts. I think that Hurts, seeing the Bell, seeing the, the Saban magic in college, then going away from that, he would fit in beautifully in this Belichick system. I definitely could see that being a guy they target in the middle rounds of the draft. And that's a future question. But right now, like – the over-under numbers came out today from William Hill Sportsbooks. They had the Patriots and the Bills both at nine wins. Do you think right now, as currently constructed, New England is still the top dog in the division? I think that it's still the Patriots division to win. I would still put my money on New England. The Belichick system wins no matter who's in it. Think about the year that Brady went down with the ACL injury, played just one quarter of the first game. That team went 11-5 and with Matt Castle. What else did Matt Castle do in the NFL other than that one season? Now, of course, they didn't make the playoffs. They lost the tiebreaker for the division to the Dolphins. They lost the tiebreaker to for the wild card to the Ravens. Just the second ever 11-5 and team to miss the playoffs. So I think that they have the pieces in place. The defense is a first-class defense. You saw what they did, especially in the first half of last season. They bring back Devin McCourty. They bring back Matthew Slater. They franchise tag the the offensive guard, Joe Tooney. So they want to keep the quarterback protected in that draft, but they're going to have to get him more weapons. Simply having Julian Edelman is not going to be enough offensively. I think it'd be better for them to stay with Stidham and Hoyer and potentially a quarterback in the draft and spend some extra money on trying to get some weapons or work a couple of extra deals to bolster the offense around the next quarterback. That makes sense. It will be interesting to see what happens in New England from here. 
Ian, thanks for all the time today. Two things before I let you go. Number one, tell people how to find you on social media and some of the stuff you're up to. Yeah, uh, well, Mike, as you know, I'm one of the play-by-play voices for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. When their season gets started again after the whole coronavirus thing, uh, that's where you can find me. Also, one of the voices of the Iona Gales. We do a great job there. You're part of the whole broadcast team there. And social on social media, I'm at Ian R. Sachs. That's I-A-N-R-S-A-C-K-S all one word and you know um reach out let me know let me know what you think and always ready for for a good sports discussion indeed and that's my great brought on up because my second point because i've not talked to you like on air since the rick patino hire so i know you've been talking to some people about that you talked to our great friend austin stilato about it Jaden daly some others so what's your general opinion on this hire it is with mixed reviews, I would say, I think that it is a slam dunk hire. When you can get a Hall of Fame coach, you go do it. Patino was available. He had connections to several higher-ups at Iona. I think it makes a lot of sense. You can get a coach who's in the Hall of Fame, won two national championships, has a desire and a drive to get back into the college name and refresh his name and show that he's not going to walk off into the sunset the way that it ended at Louisville. So he's hungry to show that he can win and get back in the good graces of college basketball fans. I think it makes a ton of sense. Patino is going to be recruiting on a different level now. And players are going to be looking the prospective players are going to be looking at Iona differently now. Now Iona's not just that mid-major near New York that wins the MAC and is a 15 or 16 seed and you know maybe holds their own against against a Kentucky or a North Carolina or Duke in the first round, but ultimately bows out. They're going to look at it as, whoa, this is Rick Pitino. He gets so many players into the NBA. If I go with him, who knows what could happen? He has so many connections to both higher-level colleges. Maybe even, you know, I come to Iona for a year or two, enter the transfer portal, and boom, I'm at a Kentucky or a Michigan State or a North Carolina or a Duke or a Kansas. So I think that they could use it as a gateway, a jumping, uh, a leap stone to somewhere else. But for Iona, I also would have wanted to see Darren Grasso as the head coach. He was the associate head coach under Tim Cruz for so long and really would have continued the Tim Cruz era. And that's the best era that any program has seen in the MAC in its history. The Gales winning six, winning five MAC championships, going to the NCAA tournament six times, winning a couple of regular season titles in there as well. And Grasso was right there for the, almost the entirety of that run, then got the head job at Bryant, went there, and is starting to turn that program around. You see what Grasso can do. He's an incredible recruiter. Most of the star players that we know of from Iona, Grasso was the integral and important recruiter in getting them to sign with the Gales. So I think that he is a bright star on the rise, whereas Patino 
has the track record of taking three different schools to the Final Four. So Iona was in a great position where they had two slam dunk hires, and they went with Satino. Yeah, I agree. I think they could not have gone wrong either way. Ian, thanks again. All right, we will do some NFL talk with fan-sided's Matt Verderam right after this. I just want to shake my head for the rest of this segment, G. Um, I, I have, like, Dan know Dan and I have sat in the green room, and we've talked. I don't know what Bill O'Brien is doing. I, I have no idea what the thought process is behind trading away a top receiver in his prime and a top quarterback is back there taking snaps from your center. I have no earthly idea what Bill O'Brien is thinking in this situation. And then to get Johnson, like, what are we seeing? Didn't, didn't you just say the Vikings got a first-round pick for Stephon Diggs? All right, we are back here talking NFL free agency this week on the podcast. Joining me today is Fansides NFL insider Matt Verderam. Matt, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm great, Michael. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Happy the NFL is actually doing things now to keep us like distracted during these crazy times. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I, th- I thought they moved free agency back. They didn't. Um, and yeah, it was a welcome distraction from all the. Uh, the stuff that's been going on here in the country over the last, uh, you know, what, month or so, a couple months or so. Yeah, I will say that. We had some big headlines for sure. I think the biggest, obviously, is Tom Brady moving on from Tam- from New England, going to Tampa Bay. So what's your thoughts on my whole, my whole situation? I think it's good for the league. Um, look, you know, the Buccaneers have been a franchise. They've been down for you know, almost 20 years here. So anytime you can revive a franchise and a fan base, uh, it, it's a good thing. You know, the Buccaneers are going to get a whole lot of, of national gains. And what I think for the Buccaneers themselves, obviously, this is this is terrific. If you're them, you get Brady. I know he's obviously the talent of his career, but you know, he's going to be throwing the ball to Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, Cameron Brady, O.J. Howard. He's got Bruce Arians, the head coach, is obviously somebody who loves to throw the ball around. I think it's a great fit for them. Um, and then for the Patriots, I think it's the death of the Patriots as far as you know, what we're used to. And, you know, they're always contending for the AFC title, for the Super Bowl. Those days are done. I, if somebody wants to make the argument that they could go 500 or 9-7 if everything breaks right, okay. I mean, most teams can make that argument. I, I think they're about a 6 win team. Now, if they go out to Cam Newton or something and he's healthy, that changes the equation. I still don't think they're a Super Bowl contender. I, I do think they could contend in for the division. But they're done. I mean, as they stand while we're recording this, they're not—they're not going to the playoffs. I mean, that team—if you—if you took the logos off their helmets and said, "Oh, this is the Indianapolis Colts," you'd be great. They're winning five games. So, uh, yeah, Brady to me, his movement is a revival of one team, and really the, the death knell of the other. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm going to go on the New England angle for a second here because New England, obviously, I mean, they have Jared Stidham. They just signed Brian Hoyer. You don't really think that's all they're going to camp with, right? You assume somebody else is coming. You would think, but see, the problem they have, they're, they're capped out. They have no money. So, now, it's the NFL. You can always trade money. They could trade Joe Sooney because they've got him on, on the tag. He's making 16 uh, and I believe, $0.1 million. They could move him and, and quickly open up that kind of space. But I, I don't know that 
I don't know that that moves the needle. Unless they get Cam. I, I think if Cam Newton goes there and he's healthy, that moves the needle. But that's, of course, a big couple of this. Andy Dalton, to me, like, again, could they be a playoff? Yeah, okay. They could be a playoff. They're not, they're not competing with Kansas City and Baltimore. I mean, they're, they're just, they're not. I don't care what, even if, even if Cam Newton were to go there. They couldn't compete with Tom Brady last year. Like, they're just not that good. They lost Van Noy. Uh, McCourty's another year older. Uh, you know, they lost Jamie Collins. They lost Danny Shelton. Philip Dorsett, not that he's great, but he's gone. So, you know, they don't have a second-round pick. I think they will continue to look to upgrade that quarterback position. But I just, at this juncture, I don't think there's a whole lot they can do to be anything more than an afterthought in the AFC. Yeah, I agree with that. The, the guy who Brady displaced in Tampa Bay, Jameis Winston, still a free agent as of recording. Where do you think he ends up? It's tough to say. I, I don't think he's a starter anywhere. You know, and it's weird. I mean, they, you've never had a situation before where guys are 5,000 yards and he's not a starter spot. But you're about to have it because I don't, I don't know, barring injury, where he fits in. I think Jackson's all makes sense. You know, they, they, they need another cornerback on the roster now. Having traded Nick Foles, Gardner Minshew is intriguing, but I, I don't know that anybody's you know, sold that he's the future here for the next 15 years in Jacksonville. So, you know, maybe a short trip uh, within the state for Jameis Winston makes sense. And if, if you're Winston, it's not the worst thing in the world. You go there, things go south. If they're not good, you go, you play eight, ten games, and, and you, you audition for your next job. Yeah, I would agree with that. He's going to be on that quarterback carousel. There's a lot of movement on this year. We take Tom Brady out of it. Who do you think's got the most success with his new team? I think Rivers would, would be my answer, only because the Panthers are rebuilding. So Bridgewater's going to have a hard time having a lot of success there. Uh, it's a great story, but they're, they're not going to be a good team, somewhat by design. Um, Rivers, I think, makes the most sense because – the Colts are pretty good. They went out, they traded their first round pick. They got the Forrest Buckner, hell of a player in the prime of his career. They've got a really good offensive line. Hilton and Marlon Mack are two legitimate weapons. Jack Boyle's a nice tight end. He's not great, but he's solid. Um, I think for the Colts, you look at your team and you look at that division, especially after the, the catastrophe that broke out with the Texans and DeAndre Hopkins. You say to yourself, hey, we, we went 10 games, we went to the division. I mean, Tennessee's good, but they lost Conklin. Logan Ryan's still out on the market. They traded Jarrell Casey for a seventh-round pick because they were going to cut him, uh, which is kind of head-scratching considering he's a five-time pro bowler each of the last five years. But I think, I think Rivers, although I think he is certainly in decline and I don't think he's more than an average quarterback at this point, I just think circumstances are going to dictate that he has a pretty good year uh, you know, in terms of, of winning some games, maybe even winning that division for the Colts. Yeah, you brought the Texans up. I wanted to go there next. Can you explain to me what exactly is going on down there? Because I feel like Bill O'Brien has no clue what he's doing. Yeah, no, nobody can explain that. Uh, that's irrationality. They, when I saw that trade, you know, for anyone who's on Twitter who was following it as it was happening, it initially was reported as David Johnson getting traded to the Texans. So my, my immediate reaction was, okay, this is just the Brock Osweiler deal in reverse. This time... It's the Texans taking on a really bad contract, and the Cardinals are going to attach you know, a, a third-round pick to it. And, okay, I understand that. And then they, the rest of it came out that they traded DeAndre Hopkins in this thing. And, look, you don't trade DeAndre Hopkins, first of all, ever. 
Okay, he's 27. He's a three-time All-Pro. He's on a, on a very palatable contract for how good he is. Um, this guy's a Hall of Fame level player, and they traded him for a second rounder and a swap uh, of fourth round picks. I, I just that makes beyond no sense. I mean, it's just honestly, it was so bad that when it happened on Monday, you know, the trade couldn't become official to the new league year on Wednesday. I thought that ownership would step in and tell him you are not making this trade. This is this is insane. We can't do this, but they did it. It's official, and I. I look at this now and say, how do you trade him for anything less than a first and a third or, or a first and a second? Uh, but they did what they did. The Cardinals get a steal. And I look at Houston and say, okay, so you traded today's on Clowney less than a calendar year ago. You traded DeAndre Hopkins. You didn't get a first-round pick for either guy. You don't have a first-round pick this year or next year because of the Lyman Tunzel trade. You don't have a second-round pick next year either. They didn't even draft the third round next year. And a couple of years ago, they didn't draft in the first or the second round because of the Osweiler situation. So I look at the Texans and just say, if I'm Deshaun Watson, my price just went up through the roof. I mean, it's already a big price. He's a great player. But if I'm him and I'm eligible for that extension this all season, I'm looking at this thing going, great. So Mahomes is going to get $40 million a year. That's coming. Okay, the CBA is now in place, so we all know the lay of the land. So when he gets 40, okay, I'm not going to get Mahomes money. I know that. But if I'm signing right now, I'm getting 38. And if you don't give me that, I'll play this year out. And I'm going to make you sweat it out because that cap's going to go up exponentially over the next couple of years. It's only going to cost more. The Texans, they put themselves in, in a brutal spot. Yeah, that they did. I'm glad I'm not a Texans fan, but... New York football fans don't have much better going on. The Giants were at least active. They did get a couple of defenders. They added a tackle. What do you think about what they did this offseason so far? It's quiet. Um, you know, Blake Martinez comes in. Look, I'm not a huge Blake Martinez guy. He can't cover, and if he can't cover as a linebacker point point, you got a problem. But is he better than what they've had there? Yes. So, if you want to take that viewpoint of it, be my guest. Uh, you know, and it's not a killer of a contract. In three years, thirty million. In reality, it's a two-year deal. You get out of the third year if you have to. So, I, you know, I don't hate it. I'm not in love with it. I, I think the biggest problem I have right now is the Giants. They don't have coins. They just do not have coins. I mean, they traded Jenkins away last year. Excuse me, they released him. And, and and fair enough for what he did. He deserved to be cut. Um, but you know, this was an off season to me. If you were going to be aggressive, go out and get some corners. Go out and get, go out and get some dominant edge rushers. I mean, Marcus Golden, 10 sacks for them last year, and he's sitting on the market. Go sign Marcus Golden. If you get 10 sacks out of him every year, that's a, that's a damn good player. Like I, I don't understand what Dave Gettleman does. But look, I was at the Combine. I was at the Senior Bowl. I was at the Super Bowl. I ran into Dave Gettleman a few times when he was speaking at the podium. And of anyone that I, I listened to, asked a question about, I, he perplexes me more than anybody. So, uh, look, I, I think the Giants, if they're going to get better, it's going to be in this draft. And I think if, if you're a Giants fan, you're going to be looking at this draft and going, okay, we're pretty good at receiver. Obviously, got a great back, got a young quarterback we're going to develop. You got to build that line and you got to build that defense. That defense needs a lot of pieces. You're not going to get them all in one shot. But if you can walk out of that draft with three guys who legitimately contribute to the team, that, that's a win. Yeah, I think also part of the problem there is that they have to tie that money up and Leonard Williams on the franchise tag because Gallman didn't want to make a mistake that he made a bad trade. That is, look, 
that that trade at the start was ridiculous. And then he had half a sack, and they're tagging him because Gettleman essentially admitted he didn't know how compensatory picks worked. And once he realized that the only way he was getting a compensatory pick is if he was completely inactive in free agency, which he couldn't afford to be, then he said, well, now i got to save face. i I got I to tag him, which has the financial flexibility to do, so it doesn't kill you there, but it's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of, you know, if, if the Jets had tagged, you know, like Steve McClendon back in the day, you'd be like, what? Like, he's, he's fine. Well, like, who the hell's tagging? You know, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But what Gettleman's done over the years has made no sense in New York. So it's, it's par for the course, unfortunately, for Giants fans who are hoping to get better soon. Now, look, the biggest thing now is Daniel Jones just has to play well. If Daniel Jones plays well, this other stuff to a degree will sort itself out. Gettleman will not be there forever. Um, but you got to hope that, that, you know, Jones plays well this year, and you got to hope that Joe Judge surprises some people and proves to be a good coach. Yeah, as a Jet fan, I'm very thankful that they made that trade and gave the Jets the extra three. What do you think about Joe Douglas, what he's done in free agency so far? You know, I, I like Joe Douglas, and I think the Jets have tried to be active. They just haven't quite gotten it. You know, they were in on Byron Jones. It doesn't work out. Um, they cut Tremaine Johnson. They had to do that. That was obviously a sin of another front office, so you know, can't blame Douglas for that. Uh, you know, fan to me, fuck. He's he's an upgrade for them at right tackle. I think he's an average right tackle. They paid him okay money. You know, again, another three or thirty million dollars. Yeah, so there's a lot of them created this year. Um, I would you know I would like to see him the Jets for two years, twenty million. Either either re-sign Robbie Anderson, which now he's on the Panthers, or, or you know maybe just go out and 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 try to get Emmanuel Sanders. Now, look, Sanders isn't going to be the future for them, so I get why they would pass there. You gotta have somebody. You gotta have somebody for Donald to throw football too. I, I know that this class is great with receivers, but if you're the Jets, aren't you taking a left tackle here? Like that's kind of got to be the play in the first round, as, as long as there's not some crazy run before you get to him. So I would have liked to see the Jets, uh, you know, add a receiver, you know, maybe add one more, you know, capable offensive lineman like Conklin to me. I mean, three years, forty-two million. The Jets could have done that. I would like to have seen the Jets on that. So, hey, it is what it is. I think the Jets haven't been necessarily bad, just more inactive than I would have liked to see. Yeah, that's fair. And let's, we'll wrap up our talk here. A couple of things. Who do you think are the biggest winners and the losers so far in the free agency period? I, I think the biggest winners, um, I, I think two teams. So, the Bills, to me, did a really nice job. Um they, they added Mario Addison with 10 sacks. He replaced the so I'll get to him in a second here. Um, uh, Stephon Dick, you know, wasn't a free agent, but trading for him, they up a decent haul. But I, I am one who says, I don't care. If you're trading draft picks for guys who are young star players, which Diggs is, that's fine. Like, that's what you're hoping to find in the draft anyway. So you can't do it all the time or you'll be broke. But you know, the Chiefs did it last year. Frank Clark won Super Bowl. Like, I, I don't have any problem, you know, with, with teams doing that. So I thought the Bills did a nice job. You know, and they had a great class last year, really panned out for them. John Brown, Mitch Morris, Cole Beasley. So I thought the Bills, it wasn't a, an unbelievable, oh, my God, look at everybody we got type of class. But I thought they filled some some holes, and I thought they did a nice job. I thought they were smart 
And then the other one would be the Cardinals. And again, it involves a trade. I mean, I, I, Hopkins, we talked about earlier. I, I just don't know how you do any better. Um, I, 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 in fact, I thought the most hilarious part of that whole thing was the Cardinals got a fourth round pick back. Like, what were the Cardinals not going to do that trade? If, if they didn't get a fourth back, like Houston actually gave them a pick. I, that was just, that was hysterical. But, um, like Jordan Phillips had 10 sacks last year as a D tackle. He led the AFC for interior defensive linemen in sacks. And they got him for three years and 30 million. I think it's a nice signing. And the Cardinals did a really nice job. They set themselves up now where they can go into the draft and they can get a left tackle. And they've had a hell of an offseason. As far as the losers, um, I'll say the Bears. Look, you can't, I, you just cannot pay Jimmy Grant. Jimmy Grant can't play. And to give him two years and 16 million and then no trade clause is just, I, I mean, talk about just ridiculous amounts of leverage that you shouldn't have. That's a great example. I think, you know, Robert Quinn's a good player, five years and 70 million and he's playing across the whole back. They, they could have signed Marcus Golden for two years and 20 million who's younger and he would have 10 sacks a year playing across the whole back. You're never going to get doubled or chipped. So, I thought that was a lot of money for a guy that's in that contract and 34 years old. And then the Foles thing to me, I just don't understand. Like, I know he's got a lot of familiarity. You know, he worked with Maggie and Laser and DeFilippo there, but I, I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, to me, you could have just signed Cam Newton. He was a better player and, and probably would have come much cheaper. You wouldn't have had to give up a draft pick. I, I just don't like what the Bears did this all too. Yeah, there were definitely one I'm scratching my head at. And my last question for you, like, of the unsigned guys as of recording, who are the ones you are keeping your eye on see where they go? Because they could be impact guys for their new teams. You know, this is a few. Uh, I mean, the obvious one's clowning. We don't know where he's going yet. You, know, you talk to people around the league, and, and there was an expectation for clowning. He wants $20 million a year plus. Uh, my understanding is, you know, if, if he gets $15, 16000000 million a year, he should be thrilled. I, this is not a big market. I think the teams are terrified of the medical with him. Um, had a lot of injuries in the past. And I, I think there's a concern there and, and, you know, maybe justifiable. There have been a lot of injuries. So that, that's one guy. Another guy I'm watching, um, I think, I think Rashad Breeland is a really good corner. Like he's somebody, if I'm the Jets or the Giants, I'd be all over. Rashad Breeland, the, the Chiefs relied on him heavily last year. As the year went on, especially when Thornhill, one Thornhill, the free safety got hurt, uh, and they kind of had to change their defense a little bit. They moved Kendall Fuller back to safety. But Breland, he he played a lockdown ball for them. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that he's you know Revis Island 2.0. Certainly not, but he's a good corner. He's a borderline one, a really high end number two uh, at worst, and he's in the prime of his career. I, I think I think Breland offers a lot of value. Uh, out in the open market. Yeah, two guys to watch for sure. Matt, thanks for all the time today. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how do people follow you on social media and keep up with some of the stuff you're doing over on Fansided? Yes, I mean, obviously, look, for Fansided, I'm, I'm the NFL reporter. I mean, check out Fansided.com. Check out Fansided.com slash NFL. I uh, have Stack in the Box, uh, a column that goes up every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Um, and, and also have, you know, just pieces throughout the week and also Stack in the Box of the podcast which we do every other week during the offseason. Check it out on iTunes. Uh, you know, subscribe, give it a like, give it a rating. We really appreciate it. And as far as social media goes, I'm on Twitter much more than I'd, I'd like to admit. Um, and you can follow me at Matt Verderam, V-E-R-D-E-R-A-M-E. Uh, and, you know, don't be afraid to say hi. I always love uh, you know, chatting it up with people, talk football. All right. Sounds good, Matt. Thanks.
Thank you. All right, and there you have it. That was Matt Verderam from Fanside breaking down NFL free agency, the big storylines thus far. Up next, going into pop culture a little bit, talking some Survivor Winners at War with Dan Martini right after this. All right, we are back here talking Survivor on the podcast for the very first time. Happy to bring in with me on the line today, after we just watched the latest episode of Survivor, our usual golf guy on the podcast, but since there is no golf, we are discussing Survivor with Dan D. Martini. Dan, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me. Um, Survivor is basically given my only uh, real competitive juices going these days, so it's been it's been fun to watch, and uh, with not much else on, uh, this is a great thing to come back and talk uh, a little bit of uh, Survivor with you. So yeah, thanks think, for having me. No problem. I don't think we ever talked about the Survivor origin story. You tell tell me yours first, and I'll give you mine after. Sure. I mean, I was a Survivor guy from day one. Um, everybody that knows me knows that I uh, was a anthropology major in college. I loved studying the origins of people, um, places, how cities formed, how people interact with one another. It's one of the things I kind of pride myself on is I uh, just could never pull the trigger on doing it, but I've always wanted to be on Survivor. Um, also love Big Brother, but I think Survivor would have been the, the show for me had my career gone a different way. But uh, just always fascinated to take a whole bunch of people from a variety of different backgrounds, put them on a beach, starve them, leave them outdoors. They're dirty, they're angry, they're tired, and see who can survive it all. And, uh, I, you know, everybody's like, oh, I can't believe you still watch Survivor. Well, they do such a good job of keep they, they keep it fresh, they keep it mixed. So I've been hooked. Have I seen at all forty uh, seasons? No, but I've seen at least thirty five. So I've done a, a, a pretty good job of uh, of just staying with the game. There's things that we've liked, there's things that we haven't. But it started as a it's, it's basically the show that I've watched my entire life. Really, it's, it's it's quite incredible how long it's been on the air. And for anybody out there that hasn't watched it in a while, I mean. You just want some good, you know, TV reality drama. Turn on Survivor because they do it best. So I would agree with that. I mean, I love this. Sh- I, like you, I was there season one. I kind of came in in the middle of season one. I will admit, I did step out in three. I came back in the middle of four. Watched pretty much straight through since then. I did go back and catch up. So I'm an every episode guy. I've seen all of them, and I gotta say, like, they do a good job keeping it fresh. Last year was a bit tough considering the controversies with the inappropriate touching stuff and like the sexual harassment mm-hmm. issues, but like they've rebounded much so nicely this season. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a little difficult. Um, you know, they've, they faced some adversity there. Uh, but I will say that, you know, for me, um, I, I just think that, you know, survivor as a show and in terms of its legacy, um, there's, there's really nothing better that's been on TV from a reality standpoint. So, We've seen a lot of failed reality shows out there. Um, Survivor is the one that I still think that people should hang in and give it another chance, and especially this season uh, because, you know, this is winners at war. These are all the best players um, from the first 40 seasons. These are the ones that we all know who have had amazing, incredible moments. Um, And so you can jump in. This is the point. So if you're listening to the podcast this week, uh, we'll get you back up to speed, but then – 
starting next week, you know, you can still jump in on this season and see a pretty incredible finish. Yeah, we. I mean, I've got to admit this, like, I was wondering, because obviously this is the 20th anniversary of the show. I was sitting there like, what are they going to do for the 40th season? Like, I know they're probably do some sort of big thing with all these players they brought back. And when I heard it was all winners, like, my juices went up to, like, 11. Because this is something that's been talked about in the fandom for years. And they finally are doing it now. And, like, they got, like, so many big names I didn't think they'd get again. And, like, they've delivered every episode they've been on the show this year. Yeah, I think it's been fantastic. You know, if, if I had to give a grade to this season, um, you know, I'd probably give it like a B plus, A minus. The only reason why I, I wouldn't give it the full A, A plus area is just that there are a lot of complicating factors um, that are new. It's not just purely putting people on the island anymore. So for the casual Survivor fan who knows the concept, um, around the game, you know, you got to make fire, you got to find your own food, you know, you compete in immunity challenges. There are additional elements um, that Survivor, you can even tell when Jeff Probst, the host, when he is engaging with the people and talking about these added elements, um, edge of extinction, which we'll get into, fire tokens, things like that. He's really excited about it, but you can tell, like, the essence of Survivor is still there, even though there's these added elements. Sometimes it works. It makes it interesting, but sometimes you're like, man, that's actually a huge advantage. So this person worked really, really hard to build these relationships. And because of this added element in the game now, uh, but then again, if you were ever going to take an opportunity to, you know, make the game the hardest it's ever been, you would do it with the cast of the, the best from the first 40 seasons, right? I mean, this is the group that you would do it with. And just like you said, Mike, they were able to get the best players, most memorable players, probably with the exception of Rupert, um, to come back and participate on this show. There's a couple others that have been amazing over the years, Ozzy, people like that. But um, this group, a fantastic group of, of cast, they all are very, very interesting to see them interact, the different ages and backgrounds and experiences and ethnicities and all of that coming together um, before some of them just got too old or some of them moved on with their lives. So really great timing for CBS and a really cool season so far. What did you think? Did you, where, what would you give it from a, a letter grade? Like right now I would give it an A minus. I think the thing that bothers me is to think that, like you said, it's a little complicated with some things. I'm not a fan of the edge of extinction. We saw that tonight where, I mean, we had some, I'm going to put further spoiler warning up here because obviously we're going to spoil the hell out of tonight's episode. If you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, so you've been warned. If you did not watch this week's episode of the, sh of the show, you'll be spoiled basically from the beginning of the season to now. Like, we got the Edge of Extinction thing again tonight where we see Sandra actually says, you know what, like, there's no chance of me getting back in. I'm not wasting my time here. I'm pulling the sail going up here. And I was like, you know what, good for Sandra to quit because, like, she knows she has no shot in winning this physical challenge. Why is she going to sit there for 25 days to sit on the jury? Like, just, you know what, like, she got voted out. She's done her time. She's won twice. Nobody will ever, like... Top that. Some people, somebody might match it this year with somebody, but she's nobody's topping her. Go out on top. I, I, I absolutely loved it because you know Sandra kind of prides herself um, on just being a real boss lady, and she went out as a queen for sure. She was just like, "There's no way I'm going to compete with all of you guys that are able to, you know, get up these hills and starve and be cold and windy. Why am I going to do that and, and to bail out?" So it's kind of sad because you know when you look at somebody like Sandra. 
Um, she's got so many other wonderful strengths, but the edge of extinction really does come down to that physical, um, you know, strength, uh, and will to kind of carry on. So I don't think it's the fairest way to let somebody back in the game. Um, you know, just purely if you're going to have so many, if you're not going to have a, like a strength requirement to come into the game, it's a little bizarre to me that you don't have some sort of, you know, cause survivor always does a great job. There's strength challenges, there's puzzle challenges, there's stuff that tests your will, your mind, your heart, your, your, you know, brain power. There's, there's, there's a variety of different things. And the edge of extinction is very cut and dry. If you want to get back in the game, you got to be able to run, climb, survive and, and, you know, hustle really. And, um, it, it, it just seems a little, it gets a little bit, too much for me, but uh, mainly because, you know, I guess we could tell everybody that, you know, you and I have a little fantasy competition going on and most of my team so far is already on edge of extinction. So maybe that's why I have a hard time watching it. Yeah. I mean, to rec- like, I'll, I'll go to specifics, but to like basically recap the game's points, Dan had Sandra who has since got, gone home and, of the 20 players on the season, I still have seven in the active game, and Dan has four. So that tells you how well Dan's time has been going with this. However, I do feel very confident that I'm, it's more like four with an asterisk because I will likely, one of my top guys will be coming back in the game. I feel very strongly that either Rob or Tyson will be the one to come back from exile. So uh, the only one on Mike's team that I'm a little nervous about would be Natalie. But for the majority of the rest of the people out there, Ethan, Amber, um, you know, spoilers included here, I'm I'm not that worried about Danny. Um, <laughs> but I do I do think that Rob or Tyson will be the one coming back in the game, especially with Rob getting three fire tokens in one challenge today. How awesome was that? So um, Boston Rob, for those of you that remember Survivor and him meeting his wife on the show, him and his wife Amber are on this season. They're both fighting to get back in the game. But um, really, uh, I do feel confident that I, I, I'm still looking at it like seven to five yeah. right now. So, yeah. But holding on for, for for my life right now. Yeah, holding on for your life for sure. I mean, like, I look at this board. I do agree with your assessment of the edge thing. But like, I, I wish that it was not here because I feel like it just neuters the stakes. Because, I mean, like, we saw tonight, like, Yul Kwan gets voted out, and, like, this is the first time he's ever been voted out as Survivor, and, like, you would have this huge, big impact if he gets blindsided, but it kind of gets neutered because he's still on the screen. He's kind of in a purgatory, and, like, he's not really, he's there, but he's not really there. Yeah, and for everybody that's listening, you know, uh, just as a quick background, so Edge of Extinction, when you're voted out now, you go there, you compete, like we said, but everybody else that's been voted out so far, with the exception of Sandra, who just decided to quit, um, you're all there and you're still part of the game. So like for the first 16 minutes of tonight's show, you weren't watching the players that were still active in the game. You were watching the edge of extinction and the challenge that they had to go through to get these tokens. And if you earn enough tokens, we don't know exactly what number it's going to be, but if you get enough tokens, you can buy your way back into the game. I'm sure there's going to be, you know, some sort of a, you know, uh, you know, some sort of a catch at the end of this uh, that we don't know yet, but um, it's a it's a fight to get back in. So there are fire tokens for for people on edge of extinction that they're trying to earn out there with physical tests, and then there are also fire tokens every time you're voted out this season 
whatever fire tokens you earn in the game, you can leave for other people in the game. You cannot take a fire token with you to the edge of extinction. You have to earn them when you get there. So at least now you kind of understand what we're saying if, if, you've, uh, if you're trying to follow along here. So people in the game have them. You can use them to buy food or supplies or whatever. Uh, we, I'm sure Survivor Auction, the famous mid-season auction, has got to be coming, right? You would think. And also, I think the thing with the fire tokens is, like, for the people on the edge of extinction, like, wait, there are opportunities to use their tokens to buy, like, advantages in the return challenge. So, like, let's say Natalie's sitting there with three tokens. You can use one of her tokens to buy an advantage in the challenge to go back in. Yeah. I thought Tyson buying peanut butter to try to give himself the, the fuel, the actual nutrition to outplay some of these other characters last week was really interesting. What do you think about that? I thought that was so Tyson to do it. I didn't think anybody else would buy food, but I know, like, remember the last time he played, like, he made me deal about, like, oh, I need the extra food to give myself advantages. So, like, that didn't shock me at all. Yeah, how ballsy is that? Yeah, you go ahead and buy a tub of peanut butter instead of, you know, possibly getting an immunity idol. I mean, it's just very, very interesting to me. Um, a couple other things. I'm, I'm just curious what you think about, you know, who at this point in the game... You know, it could be your team, my team, whatever. I'll tell you my opinion, but, you know, who do you think has the best chance right now going into the merge to really take control of this game? Maybe not a prediction yet to win, but who do you think is going to be kind of running the show as we, as we close in on the merge? Um, what, what alliance or person? I think, honestly, it's very interesting because, like, these groups are so, like, you, the group from the Yara tribe, which I think is Sophie, uh, Sarah, Ben, and Adam, feels like the most fractured of the, of the group. I think, honestly, the the group on the, I forget, the red team, the Jeremy, Kim, and Denise trio, I feel like that's the strongest group, and they can pull Tony in, and then you might get Sarah and Sophie by extension, and then you sort of have a big group there to at least start the merge. It's really interesting, right? Because I think that there's going to be a serious power struggle between Denise, Kim, and Jeremy and Sarah, Sophie, and Tony. I'm curious if Sarah and Tony's relationship is as strong as we think it is, will they work together now with, and will Sophie want to work with somebody like Tony? Maybe they will because Tony's obviously, you know, such an outlandish player, um, but people like him. Uh, but he's, everybody keeps talking about, oh, I want to have a shield. I always want to have somebody that, that's more outspoken or looks like a bigger threat than me. And I'm wondering if Sophie and Sarah, who are sitting there with an immunity idol and all these tokens now, um, whether they'd rather play this game with Ben or whether they'd rather play this game with Tony. The real wild card, which I'm curious what you think about, is Adam. What kind of a, Adam seems to be that guy this game that, that, he could, he could be that crucial swing vote to completely flip the game if he keeps kind of weeding back and forth. It seems like he joins a group, he screws them over, he apologizes like a puppy. He goes to another team, he screws them over, he apologizes and, you know, goes and hides in the corner. And then he finds somebody, and it seems like he never gets voted out, but he can't really find anybody that he wants to play with. And he can't get, you know, past his own ambition right now. And everybody sees right through him. I think, honestly, Adam is destined for zero vote finalist status. I don't think anybody respects him. I think he's kind of floating around. I think that, like, I think he'll get dragged to the end. I don't think he's going to get any votes at the end. That's my prediction, Adam. 
Yeah, yeah, and and it's a real shame because he's going to have to make a serious move in the game, like organize everybody to vote out Denise or something big in order for people to respect him enough to win the game. Um, it's really going to be interesting to see that. And uh, but right now, if I if I was you know had to put money down, I really think Denise and Jeremy are going to really run this game especially if Natalie comes back in. Um, I, I would not be shocked. Denise just has this really strong, positive um, outlook on the game, and she's great with people, and she's a fierce competitor, and nobody realizes that she's you know, a real gamer. She even said it in one of her talking heads tonight to the camera. She was just like, you know, I'm here to win this game, and people don't realize I'm not, I'm not here to, you know, lose. So, you know, people can underestimate me if they want, but, you know, I'm going to, I want to take home that, that big prize, $2 million. Yeah. I mean, I took Denise number one for a reason. I was very high on her coming into this season and like, she was the top pick in our, in our draft. I was very high on her. Like like what other players are surprising you with like how much like airtime they're getting and like storyline they're getting. I mean, Sophie for me is just, the coolest because I took her thinking I took her kind of late in our draft, not realizing I was like, ah, you know, people might look at her. Cause we all know how survivor still works. The first few, um, uh, episodes, it's all like how you perform in the immunity challenges. And if you don't do well in a puzzle, Oh, they kind of, you lost the challenge for us. You're up on the block. It's not so much because the relationships haven't formed. Well, you know, Sophie doesn't look physically imposing, and she kind of comes off as a little nerdy and a little quiet. But man, she is so smart, and she is an excellent liar. I mean, when people were, who was it? Adam was asking her straight to her face, you know, uh, you know, do you have an immunity idol? Right to her face with other people around. And like, I was reading her, because we all know she has it. You know, the people watching know she's got it. And she gave like the most believable no, like absolutely not. I don't have the idol. Like just, just, and Adam didn't even think twice about it. And it's, it's really the game that she is playing. If she wins, like I will stand up and just clap because she, um, she has been very, very sneaky this season in a good way. Yeah, she's one for sure. It definitely has gotten a lot more airtime than I thought she would initially. The other one is thanks Michelle because like. Remember back her first season, like back in season 32, like there was a lot of controversy that she shouldn't have won. Like they should have given it to Aubrey, the jury, and all that. But like she's really played like, on a mission this year to prove that she actually belongs on this season, belongs in the Winners Club. And I mean, like, I feel like she's going to be there a long time. They're getting her so much like story attention. I feel like she's going to be either somebody who like is like gets just shy of the final or is in there and is winning it. Well, I have to tell you, I, I, it's kind of interesting to me, right? So for those that don't know, so Michelle and Wendell are on the same tribe right now. And they were dating before they came on to this season. It was a brief time that they were together. Uh, They both are previous winners and it did not end well. And what we're, we don't know too much about it, but we do know that like you can so, so tell that Wendell was obviously the one that ended that relationship and Michelle is still definitely in love with him because he talks over her and doesn't necessarily go to her for a lot of things. He's only using her to stay back in this game 
And she 100% took the bait tonight. Didn't you think that after that vote happened, when they voted out Yule? Now, obviously, you vote out Yule. He, he screwed himself there by being trying to make things too complicated and showing that he was way too comfortable. Um, but Wendell didn't deserve to be there. And Michelle had a, the perfect opportunity. She said, here's my chance to, you know, make Wendell appreciate me. That, and I have all the control here, which means in the past she didn't. And she didn't take it. She decided to keep him. It's, it's you know, it's like she's given him another chance, but he doesn't really, you know, he had to wait till Jeff Probst prompted him to say that he actually cared about Michelle's well-being in the future. He didn't actually lead with that. He actually had to be reminded to say it. I mean, come on now. She's, she's getting played, and she's getting a ton of airtime, but I really hope she realizes that he's out for just himself, and she needs to stop trying to find excuses to keep him here because right now I would say that she's better going with Nick than Wendell. Yeah, I would. I think she will go with Nick in the end. I feel like this is setting up a storyline where she ends up getting her payback at Wendell at some point. I just think right now it's more advantageous to get rid of Yule, who had his whole like sixty level plan to try and con Wendell out of fire tokens tonight, and then that's that's made Michelle and Nick realize like, wow, Yule is really smart. We can't keep him here. Yeah, they're too old school, right? Because I could see how that strategy, you know, when Yule played whatever it was, you know, ten years. 12 years ago, whatever it was, I could see how he, you know, people back then would have been like, oh, wow, yeah, that's a really good idea. Like, you go for it. I'm with you because I'm scared to make moves. But you're playing with winners. And they're saying, oh, my God, this guy's calculating like this, and he doesn't really. Then if he's already thinking about the next move and the next move after that, then I can't trust him because what he's telling me is only part of his plan. And if he's already got these other plans and I don't know about them and I'm not on board with them, how can I trust him past tonight? And so Wendell got lucky. He really, I, I, he deserved to go after what happened in the immunity challenge, kind of blowing it and talking trash um, to the other teams and what was going on. And, and um, you know, Yule was obviously playing a smart, calculated game until he let his brain uh, lose it for him uh, by, by just, trying to overthink things. And so the game is funny, right? I mean, it's why we love to watch. Because Yule was looking great going into this week. Wasn't even on the radar. And by the end of the episode, he's gone. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And this would be the time to join in if you want to watch. Yeah, obviously, Survivor right now, like their their season is actually complete. They, They film these in advance. This was actually filmed last year. So, like, you will get a full season because I know a lot of shows basically right now are shutting down production because of the coronavirus situation and like their season not going to finish. Like you will have Survivor through the middle of May, but enjoy it while you can because obviously with things going on, production on the next seasons has been delayed. So like it might be a little bit before we get it back. Yeah, and I'm curious what they'll do with the finale because usually it's a live finale. Um, I don't know how that's going to work. Uh, especially if it's going on and, and all of this is not cleared, you know, just being uh, working for a sports organization like I do. And, you know, everybody out in the sports world knows that, you know, we, it, nobody is ready to give a firm date on when things are going to go back to normal. And clearly you can't have a full studio audience 
um, you know, with all this going on. So, so even shows like Survivor who do live finales, I mean, that's been a, 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 a mainstay for the show for 40 seasons. And now we don't know if that's going to happen. So um, I worry about that. Um, I worry about our other show, Mike, Big Brother. How are you going to put, you know, whatever it is, 15, 20 people in a house and, <laughs> and keep them over the whole summer if this lingers into June, July. So um, they're going to have casting issues. Uh, it, you know, a lot of our shows, you got to enjoy it while you get it. You're right. Yeah. My theory is I have a, a theory worked out on a couple of these things. You want to hear it? Go, go for it. As far as the reunion is concerned, I think they will do it like the old school way where they will just not have Jeff cutting in with audience members. They'll just run the episode straight through and then they'll have some sort of like like mobile reunion set up where they have like Jeff in the studio and they Skype in the other 20, Skype in the 20 players and do like a old school reunion that way. We're just bouncing from person to person, which I think will be fine for this season. I think the... Big Brother, I think they will push that back to the fall because I think they'll be able to jumpstart that quick and they'll have to fill programming gaps because stuff won't be back on there. Like Survivor won't, probably won't be ready for the fall is my hunch. My guess is you're getting season 41 in the spring. I think they got to fill multiple holes in their schedule. I think Big Brother will be there and maybe Amazing Race 32, which is in the can, will probably be there as well. Yeah, that makes, that makes plenty of sense to me. Even they, um, even they start Big Brother in August or something like that. They could go August to like October, and then like hopefully by then you have most of your primetime shows ready to start their new seasons. Gosh, I hope it's going to be such a weird sports and entertainment calendar this year with shows and events and championships and everything getting getting compressed to everybody. You know, you want to keep that twenty twenty champion, that twenty twenty season, that whatever. Um, and these shows are just along with it. So there might be a night when you have seven different things you need to watch in September when all this is gone. So you're going to have to start recording things. You might have to watch the tennis, the golf, the baseball, the football, the basketball, um, and your favorite shows all in a, in a, in a Saturday, Sunday afternoon. So it could be pretty crazy. It definitely could, although we still have the rest of this season to get through. So at this point, who do you think is winning it? Yeah, let's do a little rapid fire in this. Um, yeah, so right now, I think the winner, I, I'm going to say Sarah. Um, I think because Sarah is such a straight shooter, she's not leading the alliance, but people seem to want to work with her. And when I feel like she'll be really tough when we get down to individual immunity. So uh, I feel like other people will turn and I feel like she will always, she's got connections on each of the tribes right now. So she's kind of my first one. I'll, I'll kick it to you. Who is your winner and who do you think your runner up is? I think honestly, it's like, I think Kim Spratt was going to come out of this, like looking pretty good because like people like she was wow. on, she's on the ropes early then she kind of got lucky that her tribe won enough that she didn't have to go to tribal enough. She's starting to sort of find herself in a position where she's getting more power, but she's not the head of the alliance anymore. And, like, her threat level is sort of diminishing compared to people like Tony or, like, Denise now making herself a target because she took out Sandra at Sandra's own idol last week. And, like, she's kind of like the third in line of sort of her side, and I feel like she's kind of way to the pool. And we saw her first line. She has a deadly social game, so I would not be shocked if Kim comes out on top again. Hmm. That's interesting. I kind of have Kim 
as somebody that when it gets down to the numbers, she's going to be that pivotal swing vote. Um, and she's going to choose the wrong side and it's going to come back to her. Like I, I see her in like the final seven. Um, it'll be interesting. Um, let me ask you this. When, when merge does happen, who do you think the first casualty is? The first casualty. That's a good one. I got it because I, because Based on my math, it looks like they're doing it next week, according to the preview. So that's going to be basically asking for next week's boot. Okay. So I'm trying to think offhand. I think, honestly, I think you might go for, like, a Wendell here. Just I feel like you're going to have that that group of four that was sort of the nucleus on the old Dakal try, sort of, like, splinter now because always going to see that they turned on Yule. I don't think they're going to have enough people on their side. I think it's going to be sort of the re- the – New red and new green team up and go after the go after the blue people and Wendell's the biggest target on that group. True, I think that that the casualty of the merge is going to be Ben, just because he's so wish washy and he's kind of just one of those dumb luck type guys. And I think he's starting to annoy people. Um, and I think that he he can turn a, it on at times and be you know, productive as part of an alliance, but I think people don't genuinely connect to him. And so I think he's an easy target. Um, so that I feel like there's going to be these two factions forming when we get to the merge, it's going to be the Sophie, Sarah, Tony, possibly Adam. I don't know. Um, Nick Michelle Wendell, and then I don't know if Nick Michelle Wendell are going to go with Denise Jeremy Kim, or if there's going to be a, a fracture there. Like Nick would rather work with Sophie and Sarah and Adam, and Wendell and Michelle go with Denise and Jeremy. So it's going to be really interesting. Ben just I don't think fits in. I don't. I think Sarah and Sophie are bringing Ben along uh, for the ride because he's so outlandish. But I think that if they don't want to take a shot at the other alliance they would gladly get rid of Ben. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking Ben is, is days or numbered. I could actually see an argument because a lot in these recent seasons has sort of been like, nobody wants to make the first move, so let's all agree on somebody and just get rid of them. I feel like Ben could be an easy guy to say, you know what? Nobody's super loyal to Ben. Nobody's fighting for Ben. Let's just all get rid of Ben and move ourselves one step closer to the end. Exactly. Like, no blood. You know, we're not taking a shot at you yet. We'll see how things work out. But nobody wants to, you know, he's just too reckless and and frankly watching adam interact with him he just i mean adam plays a lot of the way that i would play a little i hate to say it but um you know kind of find him annoying so i don't know so my last but, um, my last one's this for you i got one more for you i want to throw your way we'll take sure. we'll take ben off the table is anybody else drawing dead at this point you don't think they can win the game oh yeah wendell I don't think there's any chance Wendell's winning this game. Nobody's going to want to work with him. I don't think he's good enough in immunity challenges. I don't think he's great enough at puzzles. I don't think he has the will or desire um, to to outlast these guys. Um, And I also think, you know, Tony's in a tough spot because everybody seems so ready to write Tony's name down um, for Tony because they all love him. They all like him. Uh, If Tony can just stay quiet, and just be the funny guy around camp. I don't know because we know how amazing he is when it comes to individual immunity. He could the longer he can not, you know, be outlandish Tony, the better for him. 
So I don't know. I think he's drawn dead, but I don't know. What do you think? I think those two are definitely, definitely drawing dead. I will say Adam Kwan as well, I think, is drawing dead because I feel like once the edit makes you either like villainous or look like a dope, you're not getting, you're not going to win. I think that's the sense I've gotten. I feel like they're making, they're getting out of the dodo edit at times this year. Yeah. I could see, um, you know, so I'm, I will go, I'm going to go with, um, I'm trying to think who's going to be like my runner up. Um, I could see somebody like Jeremy being my runner up. I think Sarah wins Jeremy runner up. Um, is it a hot take? Just is it, purely, yeah. Is it a hot take to say at this point that Jeremy's the only guy in the game who can actually win? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually pretty good. I, I'm looking at the rest of the list and you know, Nick is interesting because he's so socially cool. I feel like, you know, there's nothing that when you talk to Nick, he doesn't come off too smart, but he doesn't come off as dumb and unreliable. He just, he's got a very likable trait about him. And this is the little, the anthropologist in me, but like, if I'm looking at somebody like Nick, I'm like, he is very much a people person. He, I look at Nick and Denise, very similar. Denise might be a little bit more bold and Nick might be a little bit more cool, but I think Nick can fly under the radar and he's the only other guy. But Jeremy has the skills, the survivor skills, the immunity challenge, the puzzle, the physicality. I think the likability where people, and he also has that little bit of confidence where I think people are afraid to vote Jeremy out. I think Rob, Boston Rob is the only person that is bold enough to have everybody say, we're writing down Jeremy. Everybody, no, Nobody else will do it. So, um, you know, I'm looking at the rest of the people in the game. I'm like, who's going to turn on Jeremy? Who's going to say, let's get this powerful player out of the game? And everybody that would do it is sitting on edge of extinction. So, Yeah, I think we're looking at a female winner for this season, which I think we're overdue for. We had five straight seasons of a guy winning. We haven't had a female winner since Sarah in 34. So we are overdue to have a woman yeah. win this year. And these are awesome, awesome players. Every woman that's left, you know, has some sort of uh, really cool uh, background story and and drawing on an experience that's guiding them through the game. You know, Michelle is out to prove that she could do more. Sophie is out to prove that she, you know, has that social game. She doesn't need to worry so much about being an outstanding performer. Natalie wants desperately to get back into this game because she is a physical competitor. And, you know, I mean, each one of them has something to prove and and i i would bet i would bet on a woman to win this game right now me too i'm in yeah i would agree it's gonna be a lot of fun down the stretch dan thanks for hopping on before i let you go how people find on social media and keep up with some of the stuff you're up to sure so obviously in quarantine right now um you know we're monitoring everything in the golfing world i really hope to be back on um talk when when the leagues all agree that um that it's safe for fans and for players and and agents and managers and families and staff and volunteers and everybody to come back and work these events um it's a tough time um you know in the sporting calendar um but you know we're we're fighting through it so just a lot of work there to try to make this a, a 
the 2020 season for the PGA Tour is still a great one. Um, you can find me um, at DMART207 um, or out of out of town fan pod on Twitter. So um, shameless plug tonight, you know, I'm a huge Colts fan, but uh, they just put out the first episode of with the next pick, which is a five part series that the Colts social media team does every year. And I love it so much. So if you want to see kind of how the Colts let you behind the scenes on they're scouting their, their senior bowl, their area scouts, what they're looking for in players, unlike any other team. It's kind of like a precursor to Hard Knocks, um, and it's really, really well done. So if you want to see that, check out with the next pick. So that's what I'm kind of grinding on right now. Is very, very cool. Uh, we'll be tweeting about that later tonight. Definitely sounds fun. Thanks again. Up next, we will wrap up the podcast. We will wrap up the season of Curb Your Enthusiasm with our Curb Your Enthusiasm correspondent, Martina Puccio, right after this. We are back. Wrap up the podcast once again. Some more Curb Your Enthusiasm talk. Join me on the line once again, our Curb Your Enthusiasm correspondent. Guys, are with me for pretty much half this season so far, Martino Puccio. Martino, welcome back. How are you? Good, good. Um, not bad. Just getting through everything. Um, another week of it. Uh, I only got a couple more commits under Rick Pitino, so not too bad of a day so far. Yeah, it was not too bad of a day. Too sad, sad though, Curb is coming to an end. We could have used another 10 episodes saying we're in a sports hiatus. No, I know. Yeah, that's kind of – I kind of wish you, uh, like, had Curb start later later on. There's just so many things that we kind of finished a little too early into the quarantine. Like I was telling you, I started all those Marvel movies over again right before the quarantine started. So now I didn't really have anything to watch. So I'm just yeah. binging TV shows. So at least Curb was something fresh. Yeah, like, I mean, imagine if Curb had the Westworld slot and just came out with his first episode last week. We would be set. Oh, yeah. Oh, it would have been, it would have been fantastic. I mean, I mean, look, I, we got spoiled, though, that we even got a new Curb in the first place because we know how often the seasons come back. So just even have new stuff, even if it was, what, like two episodes pretty much during this whole time. So, I mean, I'll, I'll take it. I will take it as well. Let's get into some of the finale stuff here. We, I, I'll start the game of the episode. Like, what did you think of the Today Show, like, called open when they basically did, like, a four-minute piece showing all the different celebrities to open their own spice stores? Uh, I, thought, I thought it was funny. I, um, it's, it's definitely new. We've never seen anything like that before in Curb. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It felt, it felt like very 60-minute-ish. Um, to be honest with you, but but I thought it was cool how how he again like it's just Larry no shaming saying it's a spite store, and then there's people who were following after it, and uh, yeah, I mean I'm sure you'll get to that point, but that, I I like that opening. It was definitely new. I I like it when uh, kind of shows that have been around for a while trying to experiment like like that. So I that one. Yeah, I like I like the creativity on that one. Whose spice store do you like the best? Uh, Jonah Hill's definitely the best one just because his his whole thing going on and on about how any customer that comes into his store opposed to the other deli is like a mini Oscar for him. I thought that was <laughs> hilarious. 
And then he was thinking about opening up another one uh, across the country in New York on 42nd Street, I think he said it was. So I think that was great. I hated the Mila Kunis one, to be honest with you. I, I didn't like it. Yeah, the one I loved, and I know you didn't mention this one. I love Sean Penn's bird store. That was fantastic, especially the big. No, where... that, that. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I loved also when he's talking to the reporter. And he's like, you know, the birds make me calm, and then like one of the birds like makes a noise. He starts screaming at the bird in the middle of the scene. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, no, because yeah, especially it's funnier when you know um, the kind of person that Sean Penn is in the first place. So that made it a lot funnier. Yeah, I like that one. I mean. Um, but I don't know. It's something about Jonah Jonah Hell being in there. Uh, I don't know. It, it just it just made me laugh on on uh, how how petty it, it was of him to do that. Just just because of two stores, because that was a you know it's just not a one time thing. Like can you imagine? Yeah. Like across the whole country. But the Sean Penn one day, bird store. Like you you don't even like think about that <laughs> to get petty about. Yeah, you really would. And I mean, let's talk about some of the other points of this episode. I think. The the return of Joey Funkhauser, who was Marty Funkhauser's daughter, transitioned to a guy named Joey. And the fact that he has a big Johnson and Larry, LD calls him in the episode, that's going to cause problems. And boy, that would, boy did. Oh, yeah. Well, because you knew it when Larry kept on putting the emphasis on big. Um, he said that a couple times. They're like, okay, so this is definitely going to play a part later in the episode for sure um almost guaranteed the ending pretty much for me right there i it felt like a home run at that point um yeah look i mean i guess it's bringing back a new character um another funk houser again so that'd be there'd be two funk houses and <laughs> yeah i don't know it's just it's just so ridiculous the whole big johnson meeting too which i don't know it's just the whole situation is funny and then jeff trying to get into the big Johnson club too. I just, that whole, that whole thing was like, fun. I kind of wish they did show you the big Johnson meet and Jeff trying to go to the big Johnson meet. But that was just me. Yeah. I feel like if you take out the interracial couple and put in the big Johnson meet, the episode improves significantly. Yes. Although, although I will say about the interracial couple, my favorite part was when Larry goes right before the, the wife goes into labor, when he goes to sit down at his house before he gives him the watch. I totally agree. As a shorter person, uh, <laughs> because I'm not, I'm not very tall. I hate those kind of whatever things you want to call them, like couch chairs, day beds. That you, you, yeah, you don't know whether to sit down because you don't have anything to support your back. So you kind of arched over, but then you can't sit too far back because then your feet can't touch the ground. Feels like you're laying in a bed. Like I, I don't like it. Like I kind of understood where I thought that was great about Larry. That, again, that's like one of those little things that you kind of don't really think about. That could irritate you in a way, and that was that was classic curve, like that part. It was classic curve. I mean, we'll put we'll put a pin in the Big Johnson storyline we'll, and the interracial couple. We'll come back to, I think we'll go back to the to the uh, Spite store and the return of Alice, the Me Too receptionist. I was not too thrilled that that, that was the way they went. Um, yeah, it just uh, she, she just. To do it all in one episode, it kind of just felt like rushed and forced in a way. I do like the fact that they actually did come back to it because I remember talking to you earlier uh, when the original episode came out when she choked on Scone and he didn't do anything about it. It kind of felt like it was lazy how they just wrote her off like that. But then they bring her back and then 
all of a sudden she just remembers everything like almost immediately and then all of a sudden mocha joe scones tasted good and then i to me yeah i agree that to me i i didn't like it i, I just didn't really like our whole storyline especially with mocha joe as well yeah, I also thought the bit with the scone triggering her memory was very cartoonish, like almost as like bad last week as the bit with the sweat and the soup in slow motion. And except like it was not that was not nearly as funny. No, honestly, it wasn't. I, I agree with that. Um, and again, it just kind of shows that like not all shows are perfect. But I mean, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, it kind of just looked, felt like he was kind of grasping for straws on on something to add. Um, yeah, you're right. I just they were saying like she had brain damage but all of a sudden she bites into a scone and she's good and she remembers that and and, and recalls everything I, I don't know it's just I, I don't like it it was probably my least favorite one of my least favorite parts of the season yeah it was not a, I, I don't think they tied it up very well that storyline I the other one I don't think sat well is the interracial couple storyline because again I know Kerr's not afraid to go down this road but like the point Larry makes about like the skin tone of the baby just made no sense to me. No, but 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 it is kind of like how audacious Larry is. You know, you kind of cringe at it. It's kind of like why why would you ask that? Like that's like like who does that? That's just you know. But that that is what who Larry David is, and so I kind of I kind of get it because he's so ridiculous about that kind of stuff. It really didn't tie in that much into. The episode, I think you're right. It was just kind of like a side thing. I, I don't know. It, again, there was, it felt there were too many subplots. It, and it's hard to try to tie in everything together when you're, you know, with the Big Johnson and the watch stores and the spice stores. And then, and then you go over to, like, the club as well. And and, and Andre from um, the league, the league yep. is there as well. And, and it's just kind of like, what, like, what are we doing here? Like, who, who? Who is like Andre's character? I forget the actor's name, so forgive me. But like I, like what, like he's kind of just pointless. I mean, he comes, he it intertwines a little bit at the end of it because of of what he does um, with the house. But I, I, I just again, I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, we are not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of that plot line. My point, my thing with the pregnant like pregnancy thing is like. If we're going to bring a pregnant woman into this, why don't we just bring back the woman from the first episode instead of introducing a whole new set of characters? No, yeah, no, I agree. That No, that could be a great uh, point as well. I just, Look, I, I truly don't know. Um, I, thought, I thought kind of Susie, I preferred like Susie would have a bigger role um, towards the end of this season as well. It just kind of felt like they could have, gone in some direction like that I, I feel like the show's a lot stronger when they write her in more um i wish she was kind of like around for that stuff i, I don't know I, again i i think they tried he tried testing something out and then to me i didn't like it and I, I i have to still ask my other friends who watched her to see what they thought of it but again it just i don't know it was kind of meh for me yeah, the one good thing that came out of storyline was the port, part where Jeff calls out Larry for his not thinking through his hypotheticals ever, which he never does. And it was a great point with this one where he basically challenges the pregnant woman like to make a call on the what what color skin tone she wants the baby. He's like, "Yeah, let's say like me and my friend make a bet for fifty dollars to find out what the, what skin tone the baby fur is." So I pull a gun, you pull you in my car, and then Jeff calls. I was like. 
your hypothetical makes no sense because you can pull her over. What if she gives labor in your car? Goes to labor in your car. You don't think these things through, Larry. No, he no, yeah, no. And it's funny because Jeff is just like you could tell he's he's at the point where he just doesn't care about a lot of things anymore and he's just gonna say what's on his mind. Um, like he doesn't even hide it from Susie anymore that he doesn't really like take pleasure in just being around her in general. And he's just kind of fed up with Larry's stuff because, I mean, it happens with almost everybody in the show except for JB, um, Smooth, and Leon. Um, excuse me. So, I mean, like, I, I, I get it. And it was funny, too, because because he's because he's right. Because maybe at that point, it's like, is Jeff the one person that Larry will finally, like, listen to? Be like, okay, maybe you got a point about that. Maybe that was pretty stupid. Yeah, the other thing I was – two other things I want to get to before we get to the whole resolution and everything. is like, number one, the plot with the siren abuse where we saw the ambulance and the fire truck both like, abuse the siren to get coffee to their places faster. How realistic do you feel like that was? Um, Pretty stupid because it's just like, so what? Like, it was two instances. Like, how many times has Larry, like, pulled off to the side for people that had the sirens and stuff? Like – it's not even like it's the same like fire truck that he's trying to get out of the way for. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was just so stupid because like in reality, Larry can get anyone killed like that, and and most likely the firefighters would have taken down the license plate, and that's something that they would have just said. Like it, it was just, it felt forced. It just didn't feel like it was natural to come into it. I I, I know that they have their whole kind of like equation on how they intertwine all the subplots and stuff but again that's one of those things that just felt forced and it's just really it's truly just not that I, don't know, I just didn't find it that funny I thought it was like kind of like haha funny like the first time but I don't know it was just like three instances that he has to like pull over like that and I I, to me again that's one of those things I'm just not a fan of yeah I was a big fan though of the whole second opinion plot line because we see the Larry going for opinion on his knee after he gets run over by the guy in the wheelchair in the last episode. And we have at this point, he goes to his first primary doctor. He says, I want a second opinion. And then the, the whole fiasco of he goes to the second opinions doctor, the doctor is basically fighting with each other over the fact that Larry got a second opinion. I thought that bit was hysterical. No, that was absolutely the, probably the best part of the whole, the whole show itself. Um, and you know what? That's one of those things I actually do side with Larry on because, when someone says surgery to you, like doctor, like athletes, you talk about it all the time. Like athletes go get second, third opinions all the time on, on certain matters and stuff like that. I, I feel like it's just, you know, being cautious for the type of, for your health, right? I mean, uh, I got it, um, but it was really funny how the doctor reacted and when he said he wanted a surgery. He's like, no, you're not getting the surgery now. And he started screaming at him, go get your parking validated on the way out. I I thought it was great. And then when they came back and crossed paths again in the hospital after Larry dropped off um, the father uh, for, for the, for the, for the birth of a child, I thought it was great when he asked him um, if he knew about a jewelry place to go get the watch fixed. And then he went to go immediately look for the second opinion, even though he just <laughs> right in front of his face. I, I just, I thought it was great. It was funny. Yeah, that was well done. One thing I don't understand when you brought, brought, one of the things you brought up before was like the inclusion of uh, I think it was Cher was the actor's name like his last name he plays Andre he plays Andre in the league I feel like they just kind of shoehorn him in just to have another league alum on the show. 
Uh, yeah, no, honestly, it just didn't. Maybe he was in an episode earlier in the show. I don't think so. I, I can't recall, but it was just, it's not like he's some, like, every now and then there is a guy that, like, or a character that appears, like, in the club or, like, on the streets that Larry kind of just doesn't get along with. Um, that one guy he was friends with back in New York when he went to the Chinese restaurant to go pick up his food. Um, he was saying, I don't want to be friends with you at all. Like, I don't want to hang out with you. Like, there's just certain characters that don't really appear as often, but Larry will let him know he doesn't like them. Just like Andre, again, yeah, it's just, like, you totally forgot, like, he was selling the house until the end. You know what I mean? Like, he just, it was just really insignificant, and I didn't, I didn't find his character necessary. So let's go ahead to season 11. We're assuming that the guy who plays Taco is coming on the show, right? I mean, I hope so. John Lajoie is like one of the funniest people. I thought he was him. Him or Nick Kroll are probably the two funniest people on that show. I think they absolutely need to have him. But um, I don't know in what capacity it would be. But I am more than open to seeing it happen because, again, at this point, if you had all the all the characters and actors on the show, like you have to, you have to get Taco. Like that. Yeah, they've had all of them on except or all the main characters on except for John La- John Lajua who plays Taco on the show. So like you I think if there is a season eleven, I think there will be. You gotta bring him in and complete the uh thing here since you went to that much of an effort to bring in the guy who plays Andre. Oh yeah. No, of course. Especially no, yeah. I mean you kinda just have to. Otherwise it's just kinda I would feel terrible if I was John because you're the only person to come from that show that just doesn't actually get on curb. I don't know. At this point, it kind of seems like a formality to have him on. Yeah, it does. But let's get to the end of the Spite Store plot, which basically comes down to the fact that, like, uh, Joey, uh, Joey Funkhauser closes down the shop. You like, gets changed in the in the back. Knocks uses knocks one of the heated coffee mugs off the off the table when he's swinging his big Johnson around and starts a massive fire that burns down both his store and Mocha Joe's store. And I got to say, that was not the payout I thought we were getting. I thought it was going to be that, like, he was going to get the big Johnson sliced off by not knowing how to use the urinal. But I think this is funnier. Um, yeah, it was it was funnier. Yeah, but I, I guess the, the way he knocked it over, it made sense. You know, the, the, the cup that warms up um, the the coffee to make it hot again, and then it catches fire to the paper and it burns down the. Sh- I I, don't know. It's a, it's a, I just didn't like it. I'll be honest with you. I, I get it. It was kind of funny to me. I just I just didn't love it because then, like it's it's like Larry's fault and Larry like loses the lawsuit. It just to me it reminded me of the FBI situation, um, to the episode prior when he when when Larry like has to pay that fine the FBI is like 250 grand and then he has to do an out-of-court settlement and it just feels like if someone as rich as Larry David knows he's innocent in something because he clearly um was was innocent he didn't like this wasn't arson or anything it just felt like wouldn't he have gotten like the best lawyers possible to to go fight this thing and not that I I know that kind of sounds just like ridiculous because it would be realistic but to me I, I don't know just not a fan of it unfortunately yeah, I mean, we end up with this whole thing where, like, the, the first of all, he delays the fire truck by not letting the fire truck pass him. So that mostly contributes to both stores burning down. The, and you got the fire chief basically saying, you know, with 
the Purell acts as an accelerant, the tables being bolted down, no urinals. Like you could make very easily make it sound like you're just trying to plan to burn the store down and commit arson, which is just a very quick way to wrap up the whole plot there and just basically have Larry lose. No, exactly. And then they just fast forward and then they're his neighbors and they're in the house. Like how much money did they really like? Come on now. I, and they're together as a cut. Like it's, it's just, I don't know. It was just stupid. They try to make Larry lose too much. You know what I mean? Like we all knew Larry was going, it was going to go bad, right? We said it. So like, if it's not going to end well for Larry, clearly latte layers is not going to work out for him. How's it going to actually, um, happen i thought it was going to be something maybe with a scone someone chokes on the scone again or something like that or some sort of lawsuit that wouldn't have to do with arson i don't know it just kind of felt forced with the whole big johnson and you know like joey punkhauser was just brought back just for the last episode you know what i mean like like if these characters were kind of there over the course of the season like you can't end the season everything you built up with latte larry's and then just end it with two characters that were pretty much non-existent throughout the whole season right yeah. and then where did ted danson go ted danson's just like gone he's no longer involved in this situation um, yeah it was a bit lazy i feel like in that regard but it did give us that great scene at the end of basically the whole plot is coming together because when alice remembers larry she leaves the cap leaves the store trips up gets swept off her by mocha joe who brings her into his store and then the Guy, then Andre's character, the real estate agent, comes together. They basically admit that, like, the, the, we don't get seen off screen, but basically, Boca Joe sues Larry for this for the store going down, wins that, forces Larry to settle. I'm assuming that Alice also sues him for the sexual harassment thing, gets that settled out of court. Both of them pool their money and buy the house next door and have a spite house. Yeah. No, which in like it's it's pretty like it's not awful. It's not like the worst thing. I thought it was pretty funny, but it's just again, it's just the way it got there to me is is my issue with it. You know, it's never really the ending and the end product that we get. It's just always about like what happens before that. So to me, I don't know. Again, it just it kind of felt lazy. Like she remembered everything all of a sudden out of nowhere. Like what's the timeline here? Was it months ago that that happened? And then. She's not remembering anything for months, and then all of a sudden, within a day or so, she remembers everything. So, no, I, I don't know. I like it. It, it was awesome um, because it's curb. At the end of the day, I'll always laugh, I'll always watch. But I don't know. To an extent, it kind of felt a little lazy. All right, now we've gotten to the end of the season. Give me your season grade. Um, letter grade or like on a one to ten or something. Go on a one to ten. Um, I think it was like an eight and a half. I, you know, like it's just, you know, when, when they talk about like high floors for players yeah. coming out and going into the draft and like a guy has like a high floor. So like at the very least, he'll be a pretty good player. Like at the very least, Curb is going to be like an eight, right? It, it, just, it would be hard to believe it could be anything below that because it's just so funny. But there was just, for me, it's, in a season, there was probably the most amount of mediocre episodes for Curb standards, right? For any other show, it's really funny. Like, I enjoyed it all. There was, like, the John Hamm episodes. The season opener was amazing. Um, but then there was just, like, a couple episodes, like, I guess, like, the past two, for example, or when they went away for the wedding and doing the wait thing uh, for the private jet. Like, that kind of knocked it down a little bit, but at a score, an eight and a half, and then again, 
Um, I mentioned to you, I mentioned this to you often. I understand it. It might be difficult. It was their friend, um, Bob Einstein, but to me, no mention of like the Marty Funkhauser thing. Uh, I don't know. It, it kind of sucked. I felt, I felt like they had to have done something a little bit more because Larry did say in an interview that they address it, but it just doesn't like they just say that he's stuck in um, over in another country. I just forget where. So I don't know. I would have liked to see that, but again, eight point five. It was it was awesome. I love it. I'd watch every episode again. I gave it a nine. I liked it better than season nine. I felt like there was too much of a layoff between eight and nine, but I feel like. They got their mojo back in this one. I mean, there were a couple of low points, but I thought the Spice Store plot line was simple enough but brilliant, and it sustained over the whole season. I would have liked to see a little more of the Cheryl stuff, and a couple of the episodes were like pit, like a uh, pot pl- like potholes in theory for the season. But I thought it was a tighter narrative than the Fatwa season was, so I gave it a higher grade. Yeah, no, that's for sure. I don't think we've really seen a season long plot like this since the Seinfeld season. So I mean, again. For a show that typically doesn't have um, a season-long plot, I thought I thought it did go go well. It just some things along along the ride for it, which is a little bumpy. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. So let's let's do some more season wrap-ups here. Who is the MVP of the season for you? MVP of the season, Jeff. Honestly, I think I think Jeff was because almost every single scene or every single you know, side of an argument that Jeff was on, I agreed with, and I thought it, I thought it was just, I thought it was hilarious. And then Richard, <laughs> I just could give a special shout out to Richard Lewis, because still, I think my, my going back, my favorite scene of <laughs> this season might be when he um, channels his inner Charlie from Flowers from Algernon <laughs> at the dinner table, where his eyes um, go wide open. I think, I think that's one of the better parts, though. So I think it's definitely Jeff, but I, I shout out to Richard. I think for me, I think it's very easy to make this call, but it's hard to give ignore him. Leon's the MVP. Like there is never a moment Leon's on the screen when you're not laughing at something he's saying or something he's doing. No, yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, to to me, I just I don't feel like he was in as often, but again, he kills it in every scene. You're right, I agree with that, but to I don't know. To me, to me, um, I felt like he had stronger seasons prior to this. I guess that's maybe why I'm looking away from that, but I can't disagree. I like it. All right, let's go the other way. Who is the LVP of the season? LVP of the season? Um, does it have to be like a, a main character or? Be whoever you want it to be. Oh, well, it's got to be Diane. Of course. <laughs> Right. Is it the waitress? Yeah, I can't, I can't get over that. She's one of the like awful like characters, as in like I, I, I have so much dislike for her as for a character that in a long time in a show. So I mean, she's by far the LVP, um, and maybe and maybe uh, Alice as well. I think I have the LVP in terms of like more than like a, like a two appearance, more than like one appearance. It's got to be Freddie Funkhauser because that character was pointless. I mean, there was times like he was just there. He wasn't even contributing much to the scene. He wasn't funny. He wasn't giving you one-liners. He wasn't giving you attitude. He was just basically mm-hmm. there filling the seat. And that's not helpful for me on Curbs. I totally agree because you kind of feel like when you get someone like Vince Vaughn, who is a very popular, you know, comedian, actor, who, first of all, again, is still not Vince Vaughn in the show. And he's not, again, 
his appearance in the last episode was kind of like he kind of just forgot. It was just like a, he's coming and going kind of thing. It's like, wouldn't you utilize Vince Vaughn better if you get someone like that? I agree. That's a great show. Because if you look at it, I mean, in theory, I mean, he's taking the Marty Funkhauser spot. Marty was Larry's friend, but he was not he always getting to fights with Larry. They would have disagreements <laughs> on things. Like, Vince pretty much just agreed with everything LD did. And he was basically like, okay, Larry, you're right. Larry, this is a good idea. Larry, I like this. Never challenged Larry on anything. Yeah, no, same thing when they wanted to go to Pebble Beach. He's like, oh, I don't want to go to Pebble Beach without Jeff. And he's like, oh, okay, you can fix it. And, you know, like, you know, usually, like, people challenge Larry, like Marty does. And you're, you're right. I mean, it was just, there could have just been a lot more funnier stuff because they set him up for certain things to be funny. But I agree. It just, Betty Frankhauser is one of the worst, most consistent characters that would probably be in the show. But, um, yeah. I agree. Hell, VP for the season. That's a that's fair. And last but not least, I think I think we're both agree. I think we're gonna get a season eleven. We're probably not gonna get it for a while, but we will. Where do you think is the direction we could see them going? Oh, I mean, I, I don't know. That's good. that's a good question. At that point, jeez, I, I I really don't know. It depends. It depends what happens. I would assume something with hygiene. I think hygiene will be definitely a topic of conversation because we know Larry is, you know, he's a little bit OCD, he's a little bit of a germaphobe. Um, and then considering everything that's happening in the modern day, like current life, right? I yeah. think that they could, depending on how long from now the season will be, like I, I think there is something that'll play a role with that. I could definitely see the Larry David Doomsday Prepper season happening. I. Uh, you know, I do any direction that he goes in, I'll watch. Like, I'm just excited for it, you know? Like, I'm already I'm already kind of at that part where I'm sad that it's gone for a while. You know what I mean? Because because now it's, it's I don't know if you want Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty's, like, one of those shows that, like, it doesn't come out often. But when it does, like, you have it circled on your calendar for when it's coming back. So whenever they, they have an announcement date or whenever they say season 11, That'll be entered into my calendar immediately. Yeah, it will be. I'm. I suspect we'll probably hear about it probably towards the end of this year. We'll probably hear about a season eleven pickup. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, yeah, I, I think it just varies. They'll probably just see how the reception of the show was towards the end of the year, and then obviously everything's hectic right now. So could again be by football season. Um, I was just tweeting out today, by the way, I was just thinking of something because JB Smoove tweeted out from the Jets account about it. I totally forgot JB and Larry are actually both real-life Jets fans. So, I mean, it probably won't happen, but who knows? Imagine in two years or so, the Jets are possibly playing in the Super Bowl. Wouldn't that be, like, the dream episode for your podcast? Like, LD and, and, and JB are you know, in L.A. when the Jets are playing in the Super Bowl and the new stadium that the Rams are set to play in. Like, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like that whole kind of storyline would be great. And Larry gets knocked out and he's not able to watch the Jets win the Super Bowl after he waits for 50 years, something like that. I don't know. For me, that would be that'd be amazing. Sorry, I just, I just thought of that because I wanted to bring it up. Yeah, that's a great point, Martia. Thanks for all your help covering Curve this season. Before I let you go, how people follow you on social media, some of the stuff you're up to. 
Yeah, you could follow me on social media at Martino Puccio. Um, if you're just into soccer, I've been doing a lot more of uh, the State of Play podcast with my buddies. We've just been trying to get a few people on during this whole time, you know, so people have something to listen to, kill time with. So check that out over there. And then, um, yeah, whenever I reappear on here to go talk about whatever, um, I always love coming on here. My favorite place to come as a, as a guest. So thanks so much for having me as always. All right, and that will do it for this week's edition of the Just and the Suffering podcast. I want to thank my guests, Matt Verderam, for calling in to discuss NFL free agency, Ian Sachs for a Patriot fan's perspective on Tom Brady leaving New England, and, of course, the pop culture section, Dan Martini talking about Survivor 40, Winners at War, and Martino Puccio for wrapping up our coverage of Curb Your Enthusiasm season number 10. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including... My blog post talking about why the Olympics should have postponed, and since that has been published, they did in fact postpone the Olympics by a year. Check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and the episodes are on YouTube as well. YouTube, search for Mike Phillips' YouTube channel, Mike Phillips. Any of the platforms of the podcast, search for Just End the Suffering there. You'll find all our episodes, which is not much going on right now. Feel free to go through the archives. There's a lot of good stuff in there as well. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings. Those help make the podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me at the hashtag SirenAbuse if you made it down this week's show. Again, hashtag SirenAbuse if you made it down this week's show. Next week, we will take a deeper dive into the New York Giants offseason. I'll be talking about this from a couple different angles working on a guest who covers the team to talk about that. Also, you're looking to talk to some giant fans and resurrect the fan forum for a little bit, see how they're feeling about the team. Also, do some pop culture next week. Going to do some Westworld, talking season three. It's been on fire so far. After episode three, we'll, we'll chat with our pop culture correspondent, Sam DeRosa. We'll discuss the season thus far, ask some theories on where they'll be going. But until then, I hope you have a better week than Texans fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.